eyes at the end. So if you come and sit with me here while I go and put on a costume for you, okay? So go sit down. So kids, who can tell me what is our theme for this Advent season? Yes, Elliot. Narnia. So who here has either read the book or has it been read to them or watched the movie of the lion, the witch, and the wardrobe? Okay. What do you think of this amazing fur coat that I have on? It's pretty amazing, huh? Should I wear it out every day? It's cold in Iowa, right? No? Well, I'm going to read you a little something from the lion, the witch, and the wardrobe today. Okay? A little part of it. Um, just a little bit about the story in case you know nothing about it. It's about four brothers and sisters who end up in a home that is a mansion, let's say a big, big house that they've never been to. And in this big, big house is a wardrobe. And in that wardrobe are many, many fur coats, just like, maybe not just like this one, but uh, fur coats, maybe not as beautiful as this one. Um, and they like to play hide-and-seek in this big, big house when it's raining outside. And here is something that happened during one of those days, rainy days, when they um, went to play hide-and-seek. Now, this is just important for you to know. Peter is the oldest brother, and Lucy is the youngest sister. And Lucy had found her way into a wardrobe, and she had found this magical land called Narnia. And she came back out, Oh, I'm sorry. I'm jumping ahead. Let's hear what the book has to say, okay? So they're playing hide-and-seek, right? And it says, Nothing there, said Peter. And they all trooped out again, all except Lucy. She stayed behind because she thought it would be worthwhile trying the door of the wardrobe, even though she felt almost sure it would be locked. To her surprise, it opened quite easily. She saw several coats hanging up, Mostly long fur coats. Mine's not very long. There was nothing Lucy liked so much as the smell and feel of fur. She immediately stepped into the wardrobe and got in among the coats and rubbed her face against them. Anyone want to rub their face against the fur coat? No? Okay. Leaving the door open, of course, because she knew that it is very foolish to shut oneself into a wardrobe. Soon she went further in and found out there was a second row of coats hanging up behind the first one. It was almost quite dark in there, and she kept her arms stretched out in front of her so as not to bump her face into the back of the wardrobe. She took a step further in, then two or three steps, always expecting to feel woodwork against the tips of her fingers. But she could not feel it. This must be simply an enormous wardrobe, thought Lucy, going still further in and pushing the soft folds of the coats aside to make room for her. Then she noticed there was something crunching underneath her feet. I wonder, is that more mothballs, she thought, stooping down to feel it with her hand. But instead of feeling the hard, smooth wood of the floor of a wardrobe, she felt something soft and powdery and extremely cold. This is very queer, she said, and went on a step or two further. Next moment, she found that what was rubbing against her face and hands was no longer soft fur, but something hard and rough and even prickly. Why, it's just like branches of trees, exclaimed Lucy. And then she saw that there was a light ahead of her, not a few inches, not a few inches away where the back of the wardrobe ought to have been, but a long way off. Something cold and soft was falling on her. 
A moment later, she found that she was standing in the middle of a wood at nighttime with snow under her feet and snowflakes, snowflakes falling through the air. Lucy felt a little frightened, but she felt very inquisitive and excited as well. She looked back over her shoulder, and there, between the dark tree trunks, she could still see the open doorway of the wardrobe and even catch a glimpse of the empty room from which she had set out. She had, of course, left the door open, for she knew that it is a very silly thing to shut oneself into a wardrobe. It seemed to be still daylight there. I can always get back if anything goes wrong, thought Lucy. She began to walk forward, crunch, crunch, over the snow and through the woods towards the other light. Can you imagine going into a wardrobe and ending up in a magical world where it was snowing, it was nighttime, when you were expecting to see the back of a wardrobe? Pretty amazing, right? Do any of your wardrobes do that? No? Yes! yes. Let's all go visit the Tillies to their magical wardrobe. I love this, I love this line where it says, C.S. Lewis says, Lucy felt a little frightened, but she felt very inquisitive and excited as well. Do you know what inquisitive means? Anyone know what inquisitive means? Inquisitive means curious. Anyone watch or read Curious George? No one? No one's read Curious George? Okay. You've read Curious George. So curious means to be interested or even excited to learn something new. And this is what God wants for our relationship with him. He wants us always to be inquisitive, curious, excited to learn something new about him, about our faith in God. No matter how much you get to know God, there's always something more to get to know about him. Do you know that, how big are the oceans of the world? Can you stretch your arms out to show me how big the oceans are? Is it this big? Is it bigger than this? If we connected all of our arms in this room together, would it be as deep as the ocean? No. The ocean is a very mysterious place. We don't know much about it, even though it's right there for us to explore. And God is the one who made that ocean. God is the one who made everything in that ocean. And if we don't even know but a little bit about what's in the ocean, how much more is there to get to know about God? You could spend your whole life and all of eternity forever and ever trying to get to know God and there's still more to get to know Him. So this Christmas, I hope just like Lucy going into a new magical land that in your relationship with God that you will also just always be curious and excited to learn something new about Him, to hear His voice in a different way. I think you probably all think you know what Christmas is about, right? Yeah, probably. But I hope that even as you listen to the Christmas story this year, that you ask God to show you something new about what it means for Jesus to be born into this world for us. Now, I have a little gift for each of your families, okay? So if your family is not represented up here, you should send the youngest up here or someone like that. If they're too young, like obviously if they can't even walk, they can't come up here. But the youngest, what I want you to do is there are ornaments on the trees next to me. And I picked these ornaments because they reminded me of Narnia. And I want the youngest of each family to pick one of those ornaments and to hang it on your tree so that you can remember to be curious about learning more about God throughout 
this Advent season, okay? One representative from each family. There's two kinds. Just right in front of the tree. I put it right where you guys can reach. Not the tree. You can pick an ornament from the tree. Just tell your dad to get you a tree. I can't afford to get you a tree. <laughs> Did every family get one? Theo, you can come up here with your dad and pick an ornament. Can we pick light? No. One of the ornaments. Now, I know there's a couple of families out there who are very young kids. You're welcome to come and get one, too. Or I'll, come, I'll give it to you later. All right, kids. Pick out your ornament and go and join your mom and dads, okay? There's no ornaments over there, Silas. It's just the two big trees. So there's one here. There's one here. Those are the two kinds. Which one do you like? You like that one? Okay. Sorry, adults. I'm not going to wear this fur coat for the whole sermon. It might be a little bit hot. It's amazing what you can find in Salvation Army. Let me pray, and then we'll dive further into today's passage. Let's pray. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we praise your name. Lord, we are in this season of remembering what it is to wait upon you, to wait upon you in the midst of darkness, in the midst of even hopelessness, and to hope against all hope that you would come through, that you would deliver, that you would save, that you would speak when it seems like you're being silent. So I pray, Lord, for each and every person here that you would give them, reignite a sense of hope if it has been, if it, if it has been extinguished in any way. And that in this Advent season, in this time of waiting, that there'll be a, a fresh curiosity for who you are and what you came to do. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it sounded like I was praying to end this message, but I'm just getting started here. We're looking at this idea of curiosity in this season of Christmas. And, and we look at today's passage where we see Jesus interacting with some of the Jewish religious leaders, the Pharisees. And we see that a little bit like Lucy's siblings when Lucy tries to tell them about this magical wardrobe in this magical land of Narnia that they really didn't believe her very much. Just like that, the Pharisees had a hard time believing that Jesus was who he said he was. And it's hard, just in general, to maintain that sense of fresh curiosity in life, in faith, in our work, in our relationships. If we think about our relationships, it doesn't take long in a dating relationship to start thinking you know everything about that person and how much more when we've been married for many years. It's easy to think we've got something figured out. We've got our, our job figured out. We've got our faith figured out. We've got our God figured out. And again, certainly Lucy siblings certainly thought that her story of this magical land of Narnia was quite silly and that this wardrobe was quite silly. And let's just hear a little bit more about how they responded to her. After Lucy had been on this adventure in Narnia and met Mr. Tumnus the Fawn and had tea with him, all very British sounding, and this is what um, her interaction with her siblings go like. She's not being silly at all, said Peter. She's just making up a story for fun, aren't you, Lou? And why wouldn't she? No, Peter, I'm not. 
she said. It's, it's a magic wardrobe. There's a wood inside and it's snowing and there's a fawn and a witch and it's called Narnia. Come and see. Why, you goose, said Susan, putting her head inside and pulling the fur coats apart. It's just an ordinary wardrobe. Look, there's the back of it. Then everyone looked in and pulled the coats apart and they all saw, Lucy herself saw, a perfectly ordinary wardrobe. There was no wood and no snow, only the back of a wardrobe with hooks on it. Peter went in and wrapped his knuckles on it to make sure that it was solid. A jolly good hoax, Lou, he said as he came out again. You really have taken us in. I must admit, we have believed you. But it wasn't a hoax at all, said Lucy. Really and truly, it was all different a moment ago. Honestly, it was, I promise. Come, Lou, said Peter. That's going a bit far. You've had your joke. Hadn't you better drop it now? Lucy grew very tired, very red in the face and tried to say something, though she hardly knew what she was trying to say and burst into tears. When Jesus came into this world, claiming to be God in the flesh, the prophesied Messiah of the Old Testament, the one who would come to save all who would believe from darkness and from sin and from brokenness. Many people were skeptical at best, hostile at worst. And the context surrounding our main text today shows this skepticism and hostility. In John chapter 9, Jesus had healed a man who had been lame from, his, from birth, and he had done it on Sabbath day. And the Jewish religious leaders, the Pharisees, thought that they had God and their faith in God figured out. They said, God doesn't heal on the Sabbath, of course. That's against his own laws. Or was it against his laws? Here from John 9, 16, 17. Some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, How can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. And so they said again to the blind man, What do you say about him since he has opened your eyes? He said, He is a prophet. Now after Jesus in John 10 taught more about who he is and what he came to do, the response from the Pharisees and the Jews is fascinating. Some think that Jesus is demon-possessed or just straight-out crazy. As someone who communicates all the time, I can only imagine how it would feel if I try to explain something more and then people come back with, you're crazy, maybe even demon-possessed. This would be very frustrating. Now, John 10, 19 to 21, we hear this. There was again a division among the Jews because of these words that we'll talk about later. Many of them said, he has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? Others said, these are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? And so it is today, as we look at our culture, our society, that people think that they've got religion and God figured out. They say there's no supernatural. They say that there's no miracles anymore. Or even if there was supernatural, that God can't really be known. That we're just guessing. That all these words that we read in the Bible are fallible and made up by humans. All religions are the same and lead to the same God. It's fine to believe that, I guess, but that's not what Jesus teaches about himself. Or people might say that Christians have lost their mind to think that Jesus was actually born of Mary and Joseph, that he was actually someone who walked the earth just like we did, that he was crucified by the Romans. Forget even about believing that he was raised from the dead. 
after that crucif crucif crucifixion. Many don't even believe that Jesus was even a historical figure at all. That Jesus is just a powerful myth. A myth that we draw something from, and particularly in the Christmas season, a myth that tells us we are to love our family, that we are to give sacrificially in our gifts. But I think even for us Christians who say we believe that Jesus was born supernaturally through the Virgin Mary, that he was destined to be crucified, that he actually was raised from the dead, that we can go through Christmas in such a routine fashion that we fail to grasp anew the wonder of who Jesus is. We go through the motions of putting up the trees, putting up decorations, going Christmas shopping, attending Christmas parties, going to Christmas services, and yet... All the while, we treat Jesus like he's someone, some God that we've got all figured out. That there's nothing new to learn about him this Christmas, just to remember the same old story. We treat Jesus like we've got him in a box. We don't approach Jesus like Lucy did, Lucy did with Narnia. A little frightened, but inquisitive and excited. You've heard it said, curiosity killed the cat. Which, you know, the point of that is, you know, perhaps you can be too curious, too adventurous, that you eventually do something too dangerous that it will take your life. But I say maybe a lack of curiosity killed the cat. I think that's possible. It's not so dramatic that we do something dangerous and we kill ourselves, but we could just die a slow death in our souls, in our faith, in our relationships, when we keep thinking we've got God figured out, that we've lost a sense of curiosity for life, for God, for our relationships. Jesus is not just a formula to follow. Jesus is not just a prayer to pray at some point in your life. Jesus is not just a set of beliefs. Jesus is God become flesh who has come to be with us now. When scripture says the day is today, it means it is always today that God wants to fellowship with us, commune with us, relate with us, for us to have this reciprocal relationship with him, that we are to be present with him, to be on this adventure of getting to know the living God, the living God who comes down to be with us and to know us. Jesus calls us to this curiosity of him. And yet we can have this craving for comfort and control that kills that curiosity. When we crave control, we don't want to stray from the box which we put God in. When we crave comfort, we don't want to stray from the comfortable life that we've created for ourselves and to embark on this adventure which God calls us to in relationship with him. A craving for control and comfort kills that sense of curiosity that God calls us to. And so we have to turn from that craving for comfort and control and turn to Jesus and to his kingdom. Turn to that relationship with him that gives life. And I want us to take a look at the promises which Jesus gives in this passage in John 10. And he's really simply going to say this, that he, Jesus, is the door to life to the full. 
So this Christmas, listen to Jesus' voice with fresh curiosity. Let's see what it says in verse 3. He says this, The sheep, refers to us, hear the shepherd's voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. Verse 7, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. Or gate, in other translations. All who come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. When Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, he is explicitly referring to Old Testament passages of claiming to be God, claiming to be divine, claiming to be the prophesied Messiah who would come to deliver the world from darkness. We heard those passages, one of those passages read in Ezekiel, where God says himself, I will bring all the sheep from different nations. I will bring the scattered back to the fold. I myself am the shepherd who would do this. And so Jesus, when he says in this passage and in others, I am the good shepherd, he is claiming to be divine. He is claiming to be the God who will bring the lost sheep back into this fold. But then he goes on to say, I am the door. And the imagery that is given there is a little bit different. In the summer, the sheep are sometimes kept in pasture overnight instead of in the homestead. And a pen is is usually created kind of out in the pasture and usually is an enclosure of piled rocks to keep the sheep in an area. Now in this um, pile of rocks, there may be thorns that are placed on top so that um, no animals can come and steal the sheep away. But at the same time, there's, there's no actual door or gate to this pile of rocks that form an enclosure. The shepherd himself is the door. He lays down and sleeps across this entrance to protect the sheep. And so when Jesus says, I am the door, he is calling upon this imagery as being the protector of the sheep. And yet he's going even further that not not just he's the protector of the sheep, but that he is the very passageway in which the sheep go in and out. That he is the door through whom all must enter into the people of God, into the kingdom of God, into the community of faith. That Jesus is the door through which we enter into relationship with him. Jesus is the door through whom we receive life to the full in Christ. It's really just a very, very simple message today. Can you look upon Christmas this year with fresh curiosity, understanding that Jesus is indeed God, come in the flesh, that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, that he is the door through whom we find life to the full. In the brokenness and hardship of life, we can begin to doubt that his promises are true. That he really is the door through whom we find life to the full. In Christmas we celebrate that Jesus came as God in the flesh. Yes. But we also celebrate that he is the divine shepherd. That he is the divine door through whom we find life. That Jesus is the shepherd 
who calls us with his voice. And if we are his sheep, we know that voice. And I hope for you this Christmas that you would hear that voice of Christ in a fresh way, in a new way. That you would open your ears to him in a way to hear him reveal something new about who he is. And I hope that in this Advent season as we're leading up to Christmas that you would listen again with this fresh voice. That you would listen like Lucy did. A little frightened, but inquisitive and excited. It can't be exciting if it's not also a little bit frightening. And so it's the same thing in our relationship with God. We have to be willing to take risks in our relationship with God. So in the season of many traditions and routines of Christmas, I hope that you would maybe approach those traditions and routines with a different set of eyes, asking God to open your hearts, or perhaps taking it even a step further to take some new risks in your spiritual practices. And when I say risk, I just mean try something different. Try something different in this Advent season, asking God to show up, to have a sense of curiosity that God might speak in a different way this season, that it won't just be become kind of like a, a, a candy floss consumerism Christmas, but it will come to the substance of Jesus, Jesus who is the divine shepherd and the divine door, the one who promises to bring life to the full. And though we experience that abundant life and ebbs and flows in this broken world, we have yet an eternal hope that he will fulfill it completely one day. And that in this season of Advent, we wait not just for Christmas Day to open our presents, but we wait for Christ's return. And we learn what it means to wait well, to wait with curiosity for how God might reveal himself in new ways to us throughout the rest of our lives. Let's pray.